0: Following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at Calvarytruth.org. James chapter one, we're going to read from verse 19 to the end of the chapter. What what James has been doing, he's he's been telling us some things that we have to avoid if we're going to experience the benefit of trials. What we've learned already is that God is the one who arranges trials for us. It's a part of his purpose, and he uh, uses trials in our lives to bring about growth. But He's what James has been talking about in this first chapter are different hindrances to growth through trials, like bewilderment. We can't figure out what in the world is going on. Like, why is, What is God thinking? Well, he's thinking a lot better than you, let me tell you. And fear that uh, we're afraid of what's going to happen, yet God is in control of this and he has a purpose in it. Or blaming God for temptation in the midst of trials. Or de- today is deafness. This is the problem. If you notice, beginning in verse 19, this you know. We'll, st- we'll talk about what he, me- what he means by that. What is this? This you know. The, the place that we look for what he's talking about in the previous verses, which I'll come back to in just a second. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That is a glorious biblical truth that we sometimes miss, that the anger of man does not achieve the will of God, the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted. That means. Let the word of God enter into your heart and actually begin to affect you from the very center of your being, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks in his, at his natural face in a mirror, but he doesn't notice what's there. He doesn't notice he's got a big smudge they need to take care of. And he says, but once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. You've had children when you say, I told you to wash your face. They said, I did. With soap? Yes. With soap and and everything. And and you see this big old smudge on his face because he didn't even pay any attention when he looked into the mirror. And this is what the word of God is referred to all the time. It's a mirror. It shows us what we really are, who we really are. What's the truth about our own hearts? He says in verse 25, But one who looks intently, that is, this is the word that's used when Peter went to the tomb of Jesus, and he stooped over and he looked into the tomb, and he noticed that the body wasn't there. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, that is the word of God, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but the effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does because he's responding to the word of God. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and what that word means is a worshiper, the one who thinks himself to be a worshiper of the true and living God, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion, this man's worship is worthless. Pure and undefiled worship in the sight of our God and Father is this, because worship is all of life. And this is what true worship is, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. First of all, what does he mean here when he says, this you know, beginning in verse 19, he says, this you know. Well, if you look back up in the context just a little bit, back to verse 17, uh, James says, every good thing given and every perfect gift. What that expression means is, that every gift that's good plus every kind of giving that is good or perfect comes from the Father. He's the one who gives you everything in life that you need as a believer. Coming down, these good gifts are coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He never gets moody. He never changes his attitude about you. Now you think he does. A lot of times when you blow it and you sin and you think God's angry at you and he's ready to to pluck you up by the collar and do away with you his attitude towards you doesn't change he loves you but when he loves us when we are in sin he loves us enough to do something about it doesn't he he might even chasten us to get our attention so that we come to repentance and find freedom in Christ and again, get this verse 18 in the exercise of his will by God's determinate will he brought us forth by the word of truth he says, You know this. You know that the reason you are a believer is because God exercised his will. He determined to save you. That's why you're a believer. He determined to bring you into the family and give you the new birth. And so he says, This is the will of God. And this is what we know. We understand this. We understand that we have been saved by the grace of God. Now, this is this is uh, this message of God's First, setting his affection on you before you ever set your affection on him is everywhere in the New Testament. Let me show you in the next book, same verse exactly, chapter 1, verse 17 of First Peter. Listen to what it says. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, in other words, if you're a child of God, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your or your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. The reason that you're saved is because God decided to save you. That's why. And that's why he says, don't believe lies. Don't think that you getting angry about things and trying to straighten out the world. I'm amazed at how Christians are like this. We think we have a solution to every problem. And we see that this world outside of Christ is in big trouble. And so we think that we need to fix it. That's not what he's called us for. What he's called us for is to bear witness to the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's put you in the world. And he's put people on your path in your life, in your everyday life. He's put people in your path that he wants you to become a witness to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to use you to bear witness of Christ. Now, it takes nothing less than the will of the living God for a person to come to faith in Christ. The Bible says, in in Romans 10, 17, Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's hearing about Christ. That's how people come to faith in Christ. But God has sovereignly ordained you as one of his witnesses, You are an ambassador of Christ. That's what the Bible calls you in 2 Corinthians 5. You're an ambassador of Christ. And so he puts people on your path so that you can tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. And God has chosen to use that means and that method to bring people to a saving knowledge of Christ. And as I've mentioned over and over again, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, the God who said, let there be light, that's, that's Genesis 1, 3. Remember when God said, let there be light, and there was light? He said, that God has caused the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ to shine in our hearts. Who did it? Who was it that opened your eyes to Christ? It was the living God. And so if you think, well, I can't witness because I can never talk anybody into believing on Jesus. Oh, you're right. You can't. In fact, isn't it amazing that God saves people in spite of us? Isn't Isn't it amazing that we can be the most offensive people in the world and God still will bring the gospel to bear on a person's life. And this is the doing of God. Now the problem in this section of James 1 that he's talking about as we go through trials, you are going through trials, right? Oh yeah, you're going through trials because God ordained them. He he uses them in our lives for very important purposes. And you're going through trials in your life. But here's one of the problems. This is one of the things that we have to watch out for. And that is deafness. I know all of you notice I have hearing aids. And um, the reason I have hearing aids is because I don't hear very well. (laughs) And my wife got tired of me saying, huh? (laughs) What? What did you say? And so I got hearing aids so that I could hear. Well, in, in the Christian life, you need to be able to hear the Lord. But it's not this audible voice so much as it is this revelation that he has given to you. But he has given you this book. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the central figure in this book. He is the central topic of this revelation. And the Bible says of itself, God speaks through the apostle Paul as he writes a letter to Timothy, and he says, all scripture, that means all that I've had written down for my people is God-breathed. That is, it is the very product of God's effort. It's God's doing. He's given us a revelation of Jesus Christ in all scriptures God-breathed and profitable for teaching that we can learn the truth and for reproof we can be told when we're wrong. And you know, I love being reproved by the Bible much more than I love being reproved by people. Amen. But sometimes I need a person to reprove me because I won't listen to his word. You probably had that happen, right? But this book here is is profitable for reproof as well as teaching. It tells us when we're wrong. That's what reproof means. And then he says, and correction to set you straight and for instruction in righteousness, how to live the Christian life. It's all in the book. This is God breathed and it was meant to be given to you as his people as a possession and you have the voice of God with you. You can carry it around. You don't have to look up some prophet to tell you what God's will is. You have a a, a graphe. That's what it's called in scripture. This is a graphe. All that means is like graphics. It's a written scripture. We have the word of God written down so that we can read it. When we were talking to the family that was with us last week uh, from West Africa, and I listened to the challenge that they face of trying to communicate the gospel to people whose language they don't know how to speak. They barely know how to speak it a little bit. They're starting to learn it, but it's a very difficult language. The New Testament is written in their language, but they don't read. And you're all aware, I'm sure, that 90% of the people in the world have to be taught orally. They can't learn from reading. There are people that can read a little bit, but they can't learn from reading. And so we have to be able to communicate the truth. But the way we're going to learn it is we're going to learn it through His Word. Now, if you need to listen to the Bible read, there's a hundred ways to do that. You can find... You can find a way to listen to the whole Bible freely without any cost to you. You can listen to the Bible being read over and over again. You could you could listen to one book five times and begin to, to feel the, the flow of that book so that you would have it as your own treasure. It belongs to you now, and you can communicate it to people. And so what, what James wants us to know is we need to hear because... And this is a reason we must learn to hear in the midst of our trials. Because it's not going to be your anger over your trials that's going to get you through them. It's not going to be your anger over things that have gone wrong that's going to get you through the trial. It's going to be faith in the living God. And you have to listen to him. And the way he speaks to us is through his word. And so you need to learn to hear the word of God. And if you have trouble reading, there are plenty of tools. There are plenty of instruments by which you can hear the Bible read... You can talk to your brothers and sisters about it so that you can come to understand how it's all put together, how it begins, what the middle is, and what the end is. Where do I go for answers regarding the kind of trial I'm going through? The Bible speaks to all those things, and he wants you to understand it. But the reason he wants you to understand it is because he wants you to learn to live in response to his word so that when you speak to people about Christ, you're talking about things that are true in your life. They're actually happening in your life. And you're able to communicate to people about the Savior, about the Lord Jesus Christ, and how he will absolutely, totally change your life. An encounter with Jesus Christ. Uh, Steve Fernandez used to call, uh, he used to use this expression, the felt presence of God. What he meant by that was, you know how it is when you have a relationship with somebody like your husband or wife, good friend, and... Uh, You know what it feels like to be with them. You know how encouraging it is, or how discouraging it is, possibly. But you know what it's like to be with a person. And you gravitate to certain people who are always encouraging you and helping you. Well, your relationship with God must be that way. You must come to experience the reality of your relationship with him. Because Christ gave his life so that you would have a relationship with God so that you would actually come to have a relationship that you feel, that you actually sense it. You know what it's like to get into his presence. You know what it's like to bring needs before him and leave them with him and know that he hears you and he cares about you. It matters to him about you. That's what 1 Peter 5 says, and Peter's talking about trials. What do we do in trials? Peter says this is what you do. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God because Peter believed that God was in control of all things as the rest of the writers of the Bible believed. That God is in control of all things. You never go through things accidentally. God is in control of all of life. And so he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God when you're going through trials, because, and, and by, the, by the way, this is how you do it, by casting all your anxieties on him. Because you're saying, God, I know you're in control. And so I give this to you. And I ask you to, to settle my heart. What do you you typically do if your email stops working on your... uh, Yesterday I had to call Apple uh, and Google because my email was all messed up and I couldn't get my emails. And so I didn't practice what I preached. I got on there and I was angry and I was trying to figure out, why why did you mess up my email program? And as soon as I calmed down, she gave me a very simple answer and showed me how to get back to it. Well, with God, I'm glad that God's in control of all things. I don't think Google or Apple are are in charge of anything. God is in charge of all things. And he wants you to come to him. He wants you to trust him because he's the one who caused you to be born again. If you can't trust your father, your father who actually gave you life and who loves you, it matters to him about you. You know what that phrase is? It's the same word as worry. He worries about you, but it doesn't, he doesn't worry. But the idea is it means to have care for, about something. You really care for something. And so he says, cast your anxieties, your distractions on him, because he cares about you. It matters to him about you. Now, that's good news. It matters to him about you. It may not matter to anybody else in the face of the earth about you. And maybe you're, you're in one of those situations where you feel like nobody even knows what's going on with me. They don't care. Nobody's calling me up and asking me how I'm doing. God does. That's what he's promised us. That's his word. And so he says, you cast your anxieties on him because it matters to him about you. Now, sometimes we, that's what I was all upset about is why'd they do this to me? What's wrong with these people? And I found out through that experience that I don't practice what I preach because I was talking about this very thing in James about how I should relate to trials and realize and rest in the fact that God is in control but instead I wanted to wring somebody's neck because they were messing me up now you don't do that do you I know four of you who do because I've talked to you before you know, how we can get so upset about something that's so small. What God wants us to do is listen to him. That's what this little section's about I just read. See, he wants us to hear him. He wants us to put our, our ears on and actually listen to what he's saying to us through his word. Don't resist God. You know God is using his word in your life to produce good things. That's why he's given you his word. You do understand that God gave you this word, Right? This is a gift from God that he's given to you. You say, "Well, man, I don't I don't have one of those." We'll we'll give you one. If you don't have one and you want a Bible, we'll give you one because God wants us to give it to you. Because this is a gift from God, and it's God's heart that he reveals in here. He reveals himself. This is a self-revelation of God. And so he tells us what we are to do in the most basic things of life. And so in, the, in regards to trials, we are supposed to keep our ears open. We're supposed to listen and hear what God is saying to us. When trials come, the first response that we have is we, we, we want to fight. We want to we bellyache. I want to find somebody to tell him how awful it is what's happened to me. But what God wants me to do is he wants me to come to him and listen to his word. And so we, we listen to his word. And so I listen to this word in, in James 1, verses 17 and 18. And I discover, well, this God who is in charge of everything and is allowing me to go through this trial is the one who through his, an act of his own will, he caused me to be born again. I came to faith in Christ through him as a gift from God. And so I can trust him, can I? I can absolutely trust him. And so I turned to him and I listened to him. Now, hearing isn't, isn't just hearing an audible voice, but it's getting the report. You know, in, in the book of Isaiah, when he says, Who has believed our report? The word report there is the announcement. You know what an announcement is? Sometimes when the guys read and after they read, they'll give an announcement about something. Let me give you an announcement Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, he's been raised from the dead and he's alive and he's your savior and you can trust him and so uh, isaiah says they don't believe our report they don't believe our announcement about jesus about the coming messiah but you've all believed it who are are believers in christ you have believed it and that's how you became a believer in jesus christ because you believed the announcement somebody told you about him and you believed it but how can i hear well notice in verses 20 through 22, and it says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, shove it to the side, all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Get a hold of that a second. You see, hear what he says? It's not your anger that's going to solve your problems. It's not you adjoining a lawsuit against somebody that's going to solve your problem. It's you opening your ears and hearing the word of God. And he tells you how you are to relate to people who are very difficult to get along with. Or easy to get along with, for that matter. He tells you what to do. and so you, But the word has to be implanted. Did you catch that? The implanted word of God. What do you think that means? This is, this is my Bible right here. If I told you that this has been implanted in my life, what would I mean by that? It means I receive it, and it becomes my own. It's like, it's like when you plant seeds in a soil. This, it has to go down into the earth. It has to die and go down into the earth, and then it begins to spring up, and there is a crop. There's fruitfulness. You know the only way you're ever going to be fruitful through the Word of God is if it becomes implanted in your heart. That you actually receive it by faith. You embrace it. You know it's true. What I want to convince you of is these things we've been talking about in James are true. Whether you want to believe them or not, they're true. It's really true that he's in charge of your life. It's really true that nothing will touch you that doesn't have to go through his hands. You all know this verse. Everybody in this, in this room knows this verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, what does it say? All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But what in the world does that mean? It means that God is in charge of the events of your life and he is causing all things to work together in tandem, together for your good. What is your good, though? Well, in the context, your good is being conformed to the image of Christ. And so if you're not like Christ at all, If you are the opposite of the way that Christ is in character, you may have a lot of work coming, God's work in your life. But everything that he brings into your life is for that purpose. He's conforming us into the image of Christ. Now, some of us are harder cases than others, right? I'm with you on that. And so it takes a little more of God's activity in our lives to conform us into the image of Christ. And then there are those times where we learn to submit. We learn to receive his word and believe it. I, I need to tell you this you should never you don't have to believe anything. I say if it's not validated by the Word of God If if you can't find what I'm teaching in the Word of God Then you don't have to believe it because it's it's there. It's in the Word of God I'm not talking to you about some dream I had three nights ago and now I'm telling you I'm passing on something that God's revealed to me alone and not you I'm talking about this right here This is why we preach the Bible, because the Bible has been given to all believers, and we can have absolute total confidence in it. And so what what James is saying is, one one of the things that will keep you from experiencing growth through trials is if you refuse to hear his word. And so when you fall into a problem, you see, that's all counseling is. Counseling is helping a person to see what the word of God says about their present situation. What's going on in your life? Well, the Word of God speaks to it. This is why it's important to learn the content of the Word. You know, you can can actually learn the flow of redemptive history that's given to you here in this book from Genesis to Revelation. You can learn that in Genesis you have the account of the creation and the fall and then the dispersion of people into the world and the effect of sin on the whole world. And then you keep going and you find out he called Abraham to himself and he tells us how he's going to save people. It's by faith, by simply believing God's promise to you about a coming Messiah, a coming Savior. It's by believing him about the Savior who has already come now. And so what we tell in Good News is history. What Abraham heard was prophecy about the future. God was going to send a son, which was going to be one of his descendants, and he was going to be the Savior of the world. But what we have heard is he came. 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross in order to be your Savior. And so we're telling you history. So the Bible records all of this, and we go through the Bible, we can actually understand the story of the Bible. They actually have Bibles now that you can read as a narrative. It just, it goes right through the story, and so you, you read it like a novel, and you're reading the whole story. We need to grasp the story. I actually, I, I need to know where the creation account is, for example. That's the easiest one. Where is it at? Genesis chapter 1, right? That's where it is. It's, it's the, it's, that's where the basic story is told about God's creating. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the fall is in chapter 3. When our forefathers, that is Adam and Eve, fell into sin and plunged the entire race into this, this uh, alienation from God. And so God, because of his great love with which he loved us, he sent his son into the world to restore us and to bring us back into relationship with him. And so he wants you to know the, his word because it's a gift to you, but it has to become implanted in your life. That is, you have to believe it. You know, if you believe the Bible, you know what will happen is you'll have to drop some things off and add other things to your life, right? You find out what it says, and you go, uh-oh, I need, to, I need to align my life with this, don't I? I actually need to obey Christ. If I really believe that he's the Savior, if I really believe that he's the sovereign Lord of my life, and he tells me something, I see something in his word that commands me, and it it demands a change in my behavior, I will make that change. James is going to tell us this. This is how we can see faith. You can't see faith until people begin to obey Christ, and they tell you he's my Savior, and that's why I obey him. That's why I choose to do this and choose not to do this. It's because he's my Savior and my Lord. And so I live my life in obedience to him, in the power of the Spirit. Now, that isn't what saves you, but it's what results from you being saved. What results from you being saved is you begin to manifest faith in the way you live. And that's why James, remember James in this book, we're going to run into this. In this book, James says, you show me your, your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith through my works. Now, he's not saying you're saved by works. He is saying faith is revealed in what we do. I can say all day that I believe that Christ can deliver me from everything, but if you would have heard me talking on the telephone yesterday, you'd say, wow, I wonder what happened to his faith. And I'm sure you never do that, do you? And so this is what's good about being a part of the body of Christ is that we can tell each other the truth. Now the consequences of deafness is found down in in verses uh, 23 through 27. What I don't really hear or listen to causes me great problems. And you say, well, where would I hear this? Pick up the book, start reading the book. I would suggest that you get into a reading plan of some kind and just start reading a little bit every day and start listening. Now, you may say, well, I'm I'm not a good reader and I don't like to read. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, you do if you're a saved person. If you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Guess what the Holy Spirit will do? He will open this book to your heart and let you see what it's saying. He will bring it home to bear upon your heart and you'll embrace it by faith. It'll change your life as you obey his word. And so what what uh, what James is telling us here is that we need to listen. We need to hear. And if I don't hear, then what's going to happen to me? If I don't intently look into the book, if I don't really look and find out what's being taught to me, how I'm to live and how I'm to relate to both believer and non-believer, I'm going to miss out on all kinds of things. And then the final word down in verses 26 through 27. Let me get back to James. I'm far afield here. James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Listen to these final words of this section. He says, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, that of liberty, that is the word of God, the gospel, the one who looks intently, who really pays attention and lets it become implanted in their heart, he says, and they abide by it, not having become forgetful here, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Because what he does is obey the word of God. For example, let me ask you a question. Just take this as a private question to you. I don't have any idea about this, but let me just ask you. Are you holding a grudge against anybody? Don't shake your head yes or no, but are you? Are you holding a grudge against anybody? Did you know that, that the word of God teaches you not to do that? that that will do great damage to your heart. I'm not talking about the physical pump, although it could damage that too. But it'll do great damage to your relationship with God if you're holding a grudge, if you're refusing to, to forgive. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? When he, told, when he told his, taught his, his disciples how to pray, and in the prayer he, says, he tells them that this is the, the topics of how you pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, as we have already forgiven those who've trespassed against us. What is a trespass? A trespass is when you fail to do what you know you're supposed to do in relationship to somebody, God or people. That's a trespass. I have fallen down alongside of my duty. I've told you this. My wife isn't in here, I don't think. I can tell you again that the Word of God convinced me I was supposed to love my wife with all my heart. When I, when I discovered that, I'd been married for about 10 years. And I really liked her a lot, and I loved her. But when I read that, that this was a command from Jesus, I knew I had to obey that. I had to obey that commandment. That was an act of obedience to Christ who died for me. And I began to obey that, and I began to bring great joy into my life. And so those who consider themselves righteous and yet do not keep a tight rein on their, 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 their tongues to deceive aren't really listening. We're not really listening. The Word of God is incredibly convicting, isn't it? It really convicts the heart. It convicts me enough to go to somebody and say, I need to ask your forgiveness. I really blew it. I, the thing I said to you the other day, was totally out of line, and I I ask your forgiveness. God's convicted me of this. That's what the Word of God will do to you. It will move your heart to act in obedience to Christ in your relationships and your daily life. Now, when when James describes endurance in a trial, he uses the word hupomene, which means to abide under pressure, to not bail out. You know what it's like to bail out? When I was in college, I got married my, after my sophomore year in college. And so it took me another five years to get out of college. You know how that is? And I can remember I used to drop classes because I never wanted to get anything less than an A. And so if I didn't think I was doing good, I would drop the class and take it the next time it came around. I was a coward. And so I just kept bailing out, bailing out, bailing out. And then I began to see what the Word of God says about A, about abiding under the pressure about staying at the task and trusting God. And sometimes, have you noticed this? Sometimes you learn more getting a C than you did getting an A in a class. You ever had that happen? And so he says, yeah, that's all I ever got was C's. <clears throat> but we God wants us to endure. He wants to stay He wants us to stay under the pressure and endure because we trust Him. And so when I go through a trial, sometimes my first priority is I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take care of this bad situation. And I get angry and I want, to, I want to intimidate somebody to get me out from under this mess that you're responsible for getting me in. What God says to do is that we are to abide under pressure. In fact, remember back in chapter 1 when he said, when he starts off, this is what he says, Count it all joy whenever you fall into diverse trials, multicolored trials. If everybody here would describe the trial that you, the last trial you went through, or the trial you're in right now, they would all be different. Some there would be some things about them that would be alike, but they're variegated. There are all kinds of trials we go through. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's relationships, sometimes it's stupidity, (laughs) and all kinds of things. But we go through trials, and what he wants us to do is to trust God enough that I stay under the trial in order to obey Christ. And that's what I had to learn to do in college. I had to learn to stick it out. Because I, was, I didn't like it that I wasn't doing a perfect job in that class. And sometimes I had to just stick it out and stay under the pressure and trust God. And that's, what, that's the way life is, isn't it? That's how it is in everyday life. That God wants us to continue to trust Him, to continue to cast our anxieties on Him. If I were to ask you a really embarrassing question like, What's your prayer life like? It would probably immediately cause stress. If I was to say, I'd like somebody to stand up and tell me what your prayer life is, I don't want you to do that. Because you know what would happen? There'd be some people who stand up and brag about how faithful they are in prayer, and the rest of us would be mad at them, mad at them about it. Because prayer is, is tough, because we're, we are called to be praying people when we meet together like this and when we are by ourselves. I need to have a a daily pattern of addressing the living God, both by myself and with others, as we pray together. We need to call upon the name of the Lord. We need to endure in that. And sometimes we wonder, well, it's just so difficult, isn't it? It's so difficult to have a prayer life. It's so difficult to spend more. Have you done this when you got on your knees and said, I want to spend an hour in prayer, and then you prayed for a little bit, and then you looked at your clock and you had spent three minutes? Isn't that something that's how it is, isn't it? Well, what God wants to do is he wants you to give he wants you to have such a love for him that you love speaking to him, you love talking to him, you love bearing your heart to him you love coming to him and calling on his name because you know what his attitude about you is. He's proven it Somebody quote romans five eight Okay, did you hear that? I didn't hear it either, but I know what he said. God demonstrated his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love. Can you imagine that? He demonstrated his love by having his son die for us. And so, should I want to talk to him? Should I want to talk to this one who's given his son for me? Yes. He's talking, what he talks about in this section is about worship. I want to be a worshiper of God. But he confronts us with something. And that is that I have to have a controlled tongue in order to worship. I have to to be able to lift up the right, I have to lift up truth to my God. I have to extol him for who he is and what he is. I have to know that. I have to know who he is and what he is. I have to know what kind of God he is. I have to know what His relationship with the Son is and what His relationship to the Spirit is. It's all given to us in His Word. And what He has done is He has called you into a relationship with Him, which means that you are right in the center of God's, the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father and the Spirit. And you're right there in that crossfire. You are living in that family. That's where you are. And you have to learn how to live In that atmosphere you have to learn how to address the Father and the Son and the Spirit how to rely upon the Spirit basically the Bible says this I have to learn how to abide in the Father's love for me I have to learn how to to rest in Christ and I have to learn how to walk in the Spirit that is depending upon the Spirit I have to be a pneumatic Christian I know you think I'm talking about a tool, but I'm not. Pneumatic just means it's a word for the Holy Spirit, pneumatos. We need to be Christians that understand I can't live a day without reliance upon the Holy Spirit to empower me to live for him. I certainly can't bear witness of him to anybody unless the Spirit of God empowers me. In fact, it's interesting what he says. He gives three characteristics of true worship. You notice that in verse 26, it's a controlled tongue you have any friends who have no control over their tongue? (laughs) All of us have friends like that, huh? You never know what they're going to say. But he says, a controlled tongue is a part of true worship. That I use my mouth to build up and not tear down. In fact, we're told in Ephesians 4 that it grieves the Holy Spirit when you use your tongue, your mouth, your words to tear somebody down instead of building them up. He's talking specifically about your brothers and sisters in Christ. I have to learn how to encourage people. Do you know how to encourage people? Do you ever intentionally, when you meet with saints, you get somebody uh, alone where you're talking to them just to encourage them, to build them up? That's one of the primary commandments we've been given. That is a manifestation of faith. When I care enough about you that I find out what's going on in your life, and I want to encourage you. I want to let you know that I care about what's going on in your life, about how God wants to use you in that situation, and how he wants you to grow through it. And some of the worst situations in life are times when God can bring the most growth in our lives as we trust him and so just to say to somebody you know I've never suffered anything as near like this what you're going through and I'm gonna be praying for you but I want you to know I really believe God can use this in your life to build you up and not tear you down not rip you apart but to build you up and make you stronger and more capable of encouraging others because that's what Paul said in second Corinthians chapter 1 he said God let me be tested beyond my ability to bear I thought I was gonna die But he did this so that I'd stop trusting myself. Now you can understand why Paul trusted himself, can't you? He was a very competent man. But he said, God wanted me to stop trusting myself and put my faith in the one who raises the dead. And whatever you're going through, doesn't matter how bad it is. I've noticed this about myself. If I'm going through something, I have a bad habit of wanting to tell somebody all the details so they'll feel the pain. That's not what we're called to do. What we're called to do is to share what God is doing in our life through this trial. What is He teaching you? Has He got you by the nap of the neck and shaking you and saying, you need to wake up? Or what is He doing? Or is He he's saying to you, I want you to realize that your circumstances are not that important. I can bless you in good circumstances and bad circumstances. The goal of the church is not to Christianize America. That's not the goal of the church. The goal of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And you know the difference between a disciple and a professor, someone who professes to be a believer. A disciple is someone who has a relationship with Christ and they're walking with Christ. And they're experiencing eternal life as they walk with Christ. That's what he's called us to do. So we don't have to figure out how to fix the world. But God wants to use you as a witness. He wants you to use you as a, as a member of the body of Christ who's been gifted to dispense his grace into people's lives. doesn't matter what they're going through. It doesn't matter what they're facing. He's given you a spiritual gift to encourage people. And not, not just to encourage, but all those gifts that are listed in the New Testament. Paul lists 20 gifts, and Peter says there's two kinds of gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. You have a gift. And God wants you to dispense His grace into people's lives, but you have to know what they're going through, don't you? You have to actually care enough to get close to people to find out what's going on in their life. And the reason that God lets you go through trials is to wake you up and make you realize that there are times when we need to be encouraged and helped, even instructed. It's great to hear somebody tell me, you know, I know what you're going through. I went through that five years ago. I know exactly what it's like. Let me tell you what I learned about it. That's helpful. Well, if you're, what we, I said was in the, this first chapter, he's talked about the, the things that can derail you in a trial. The first is bewilderment. What in the world is going on? This, this can't be what God allows his people to go through. That's what Job's wife believed, remember? And she says, why don't you just curse God and die? Because he's not doing what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to keep you out of trouble. No, he's supposed to keep you through trouble and to teach you through trouble. And so bewilderment will hinder you from growing through your trials. Secondly, it's fear. Fear that things are out of control. God isn't in control anymore. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. He is in control. That's why we don't have to fix the world. Because God is in control. And his goal is much better than fixing the world. It's creating a people who know his son and experience eternal life. And then blaming God that he's tempting me. And remember what James said? God's not tempted by evil, and he never tempts anyone to sin. He never tempts you to sin. And then finally, deafness. This passage here. If we're bewildered, we lack wisdom, and, and we need to ask God for wisdom so we can handle the trial that we're going through. That's what, by the way, I've got to remind you of that. James said, if, if when you go into a trial and you're bewildered by it, he said, if you lack wisdom, that's why, that's why you're bewildered, you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and does not upbraid, and he will be given to him. But you have to believe. You have to trust him. You have to know that he's the source, the one source that you have, that you can get what you need in the midst of a trial. So if, if I think, if, if I'm bewildered and I don't know what to do, I need to ask him for wisdom, and he'll give me wisdom. You know what wisdom is. Wisdom is using your knowledge to fulfill God's will, Knowing how to use this knowledge. I've I've heard people witness to somebody, and I thought, you know, that would be a good method if you were trying to execute the guy. If you were trying to beat him up and get rid of him and make him hate you and never talk to you again, that's an effective way to bear witness to him. Tell him what a total jerk he is. That's that's not the way to bear witness. God will give you wisdom. He'll give you the ability to love people that you would naturally not love if you trust him if you'll just trust him to empower you What happens if you live long enough is you discover that some people you always try to you try to avoid them and then you discover as you go through life and you become one of those persons and you realize I can't get away from myself so I got to I got to learn how to love people like myself <laughs> You know, there's an interesting Old Testament. I'm going to close now, but there's an interesting passage in Isaiah, in Jeremiah 49. It says, Moab has settled on his lees and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. You know what that is, settling on your lees? That's when you have wine and you're, it's in a barrel and you never pour it from vessel to vessel and it, all the sediment begins to just permeate the whole thing. And so it has to be poured into another container and poured back. And he says, that's how we can get. You know what God should do? He should put a label on every believer that says, shake before using. In other words, you need trials. You need troubles. And you can grow through troubles because God is the one who's in charge of your life. He's in charge of the universe. You can trust him. And so if you're suffering right now, maybe you're sitting there in one of those comfortable chairs, those cushioned chairs you're sitting on, and you're thinking, You know, I I don't know if I could, I don't think I can do this, sit on one of these hard chairs for this long. Well, you can either get me to preach shorter sermons, or you could say to God, please teach me through this trial and this hard chair. I'm being silly, but you know what I mean. God's putting you through all kinds of things, and don't be like Moab, who has settled on his leaves. You need to be poured from vessel to vessel, and that's why he takes you through trials. He shakes you up. I've had this happen so many times where I thought, "I uh, I really knew what I was talking about. And then I experienced what this person was suffering with. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I don't even know what I'm talking about. That's why he takes you through so many trials, so he can use you in so many different ways with so many different people. And so let me pray for you and pray for us that we would become useful to the living God. Father, as we bow our hearts before you, we confess to you how much we need you. We need you, Father, as we go through trials that wouldn't bail out. We wouldn't run from it. But instead, we would experience trials so that they would make changes in our lives, change our attitude. Father, teach me to love people people that I would not naturally love, but I could love because of what you've done for them in Christ Jesus. I just pray, oh God, that I could look at every person through the lens of Christ, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, I no longer look at anybody except through Christ. I pray that you would help us to be that way. Help us, oh God, use the trials in our lives to bring us to this kind of humility and love for people. We pray that you'd bring people into our life that normally would trouble us, but instead the Spirit of God empowers us to love them and to minister to them and to serve you by being a witness and ambassador of Jesus Christ. We pray and ask for this and ask you, O God, to demonstrate in our lives your glorious and good work. We thank you that you are our Father and you care about us and you work in our lives as a manifestation of your love for us. And so we submit to you. We humble ourselves before you, and we cast our anxieties on you. And we we tell you, Father, we need you desperately today and this week. We want to be faithful to you. We want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please you in all respects. So please empower us and work in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.